Welcome to another edition of Trinity Talk. I'm Jared Ritchie. J.R.R. Tolkien is widely known for his book-turned-movie series, The Lord of the Rings. But we don't always know about the early life of Tolkien and the events that shaped him into the man that he was. In this episode, we bring you an interview that Pastor Yuri Brito had with Pastor Mark Horn of St. Louis, Missouri, on his upcoming book on the life of Tolkien. Now we take you to that interview. We're speaking with Mark Horn about the life and work of uh, J.R. Tolkien. Uh, Mark, can you um, speak a little bit of who Tolkien was as a man and a little bit about his life, his earlier life in particular, which is uh, your area of uh, focus and interest? Well, yeah, I did focus on his earlier life in my biography because I felt that wasn't really um, emphasized enough in some others. Now, there's there have been some actual fantastic, or at least one fantastic resource that come out recently. As a young, young man, where I'm, I'm most interested in him, he wasn't yet a professional academician. Mm-hmm. That obviously came later. But he showed a love for words and languages very early on, as well as an ability to learn them. Um, Somehow, sometimes I should say, this was not always to his best interest because he also had a capacity with, in some cases, to get bored with them. Uh, for instance, uh, simply, even though he, I think he, he loved Latin and learning Greek early on, later in his teen years, it was not um, something he easily did. He did not want to spend time um, working with classics. He was too uh, fond of either making up languages, which he did, or else, um, and he was, by the way, I should just interject there, apparently this was not a game that he invented. Other people were making up languages. It was something that young kids did in the early 19, uh, 1900s. I'm not sure why. But he, he obviously took it farther than any of them and took it very seriously. And his, and as everyone knows, his myths of Middle Earth actually were originally myths de- trying to develop um, a background for these languages he was kind of creating. But he, as a um, young child, was very um, astute or academically gifted, and that was kind of his ticket because he was in pretty dire poverty as a child uh, of a mother who had been basically disinherited and widowed and then as an orphan. Um, so his academic uh, career was really his lifeline. It was the only thing he really had to hang on to and it was something he wanted to hang on to. He wanted to become a philologist. And as he went through life, he did eventually, fortunately um, for all of us, get uh, some feedback and some direction that put him into an area of language that he was more comfortable with, he was more interested in. And that preserved him through a career that on the side he started writing these books. And eventually that um, led to books that no one ever expected to be written and certainly no one ever expected to become worldwide bestsellers. Um, so there's, there's a lot there. I mean, you, know, you asked the, the question you asked was, you know, what, how would I describe Tolkien? I think I, I, um, the other reason I focused on his earlier time, uh, was basically because I felt that when Tolkien became famous, he was almost too old. Um, you know, it, it, I don't want to sound, um, you know, it's, well, it is, it's almost bittersweet. I mean, he, he becomes world renowned. Uh, his books become just incredible bestsellers. Um, and yet he's so old by that time, even though he's very grateful and writes about how he'd better be grateful. He wonders if he's grateful enough because this is all a surprise to him. He wasn't sure how he was going to make it through retirement. And that certainly seems to be a concern. But that's when everyone got to know him. They got to know this very interesting but obscure, very elderly gentleman 
um, who uh, was hard to understand. That's a, he had a speech impediment that got worse with, with time um, or a speech habit maybe. He just spoke too fast sometimes. Um, and so it was hard to understand. It. And, and, he, and he, I was reading some of these biographies, and they'd start out with these d- descriptions of meeting him. And I, I don't need to know about his facial features. I, I, I mean, I don't mean to sound awful, but I love Tolkien. But it was very much you kind of this cult figure feeling you got. And now I did run into a book, um, The Threshold of Middle Earth, a, bu- a book about Tolkien and World War One, And that was great because that starts off with Tolkien as the rugby player. The Tolkien as the young man, and um, <clears throat> he was a you know he was an athlete. He was a cut up. He did things in college. I don't. I think that nowadays he'd be expelled for. I don't know what goes on in Oxford now, but I think it involved um, uh, joy riding a public bus or something like that. He was he was an amazing guy. Um, he was pious, uh, though he admits that you know sometimes during maybe those more cut up years he backs a little bit. But he he came back, and he was um. He was very much an intellectual, very um, confident, and also very much a um, someone who um, planned to change the world through literature, even though I don't think he knew how he was going to do this, and he certainly thought he was going to do this through friends. And you know, The other part about emphasizing his younger years is to emphasize, I think I might have mentioned Tolkien was an orphan. That uh, really understates it. He, he, lost his first, he lost his first parent, his father, when he was barely old enough to even remember his face. And, I mean, technically his father died a little bit later, but, of course, they were on vacation. They had left South Africa and come back to England. So he was, you know, he'd never actually, he'd he'd only seen his father much earlier when his father finally succumbed to fever, rheumatic fever, and died. And then the second big loss was, you know, his mother became a Roman Catholic and brought him into that faith, and in so doing, basically incurred the wrath of the Protestant family and pretty much exiled Tolkien in some substantial ways and also some financial ways from the rest of the family. Now, now I talk about this in the book a little bit, and what's, what's I find interesting is that um, uh, Tolkien's mother was a Mabel. Um, her father was a Unitarian. And I wonder, since she ended up dying, if she had not become Roman Catholic, I'd like to know who would have been responsible for the schooling and raising of Tolkien. I wonder if she was becoming afraid of, you know, basically non-Christian influence and if she was kind of going in the opposite direction. I can't be sure. I don't know these things because there's not a lot written. What we know is that she, um, after her father died, excuse me, her husband died. After her husband died, she became more and more involved in the church and happened to fall into more Anglican uh, more Anglo-Catholic types of traditions in where she was going to church. And from that point, eventually decided she wanted to make that move. And it was a very, um, well, it was not well received, uh, you know, it was not very accepted in Victorian England to do that at all. And it certainly wasn't accepted among her family. So it involved her basically being a lot poorer than she had been before. And she hadn't been rich before as a widow. <laughs> and uh, involved Tolkien basically losing a lot of connection with his family. And then, of course, she died when he was 12, um, died, and he believed, and, you know, believably, with some credible base for this, believed that in part that was because of how she'd been exiled from her family because of what she'd done. So he regarded her as a martyr. And um, he was very um, loyal to her and her memory uh, for to good and bad. But that, that, was his, that was what he did. But that, again, all these ways, um, one of the things, the studies I ran into, actually I ran into it before I started this, was a uh, work 
uh, by some by some people who've done some research on how uh, people who've suffered the death of one or two parents are overrepresented. I'm not saying this right. Overrepresented in creative fields. Uh, you know the um, the number of um, prime ministers of England who have been orphans is staggeringly out of the out of sync with just random possibilities um the numbers of people authors both france and england who have lost one or both parents is high and uh it does seem that some people respond to severe loss by becoming more creative and and becoming uh, more um well there's just somehow they develop they don't wilt and die therefore they actually develop some other compensations and i think you know i i, I think tolkien it, it's it's significant that he loses his parents and he doesn't just lose his parents he's by that time he's got a group of friends at school where he's going and he's he's there and he's probably a little bit beneath their social class in terms of his own background but because he's at school it's a pretty good equalizer and because he's very good at academics um you know he's respected by his intellectual peers and then world war one hits and he loses half of them and more if you continue to consider his extended group of student friends but his inner circle uh there's these people Call, they, now I'm forgetting what they call themselves, the Tea Club and Barovian Society, I think it is, TCBS for short. They were so certain that they were going to um, change the world through literature. And the two, you know, two of Tolkien's closest friends got killed within months of each other. And, of course, he saw many others die. And he himself uh, got sick and had to um, basically stay in convalescent in hospitals for a time period. Um, it was a um, basically, you know, we, we need to understand that God gave us life, lice, in order to save us so that we could enjoy the Lord of the Rings, because um, they were the vermin were all over those trenches, and you'd get this kind of fever, and with some people it would keep coming back, it would not go away, and that's why Tolkien got out of the war, out of the combat zone, and it's also why um, he, uh, you know, he didn't get captured because his his uh, group did eventually get, um, I think, captured and maybe killed by the Germans. It was not a good time. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm just... <clears throat> That's fine. That's good. Very good, actually. Let me jump into the the, the Lord of the Rings, his famous uh, trilogy. Let me ask you uh, first, from what you had just mentioned, is Lord of the Rings a form of a, um, autobiography of Tolkien's own life? I think Tolkien would so vehemently deny that. I wouldn't want to be in the room if you actually suggested that what, to him because okay. he would... He hated that idea. However, um, I think World War... Now, one of the things that happened is World War II was in everyone's recent memory when The Lord of the Rings came out. So he was able to get, you know, tell you know, that the Lord that had nothing to do with it, that he'd already written a lot of it before World War, I, before World War II. And also he said that he hated... He hated... Um, what's the word? He, he, he was not writing analogies or you know, allegories. He hated allegories. Now, having said that, the way he the way he denied it, he said, you know, if this was an allegory of World War II, then then um, I would have had the good guys also work on making their own ring. And I thought, well, that's not exactly the way of trying to prove to me the ring doesn't represent something, you know, something uh, in what's happened. So it's very obvious to me, and his letters are filled with references to things in the Lord of the Rings as if they apply to things in his life or things elsewhere. So the answer is they're not allegory in the sense that he wants you to have freedom to apply the principles of life and everything else that, that are in them to, to whatever you want. He gives you freedom. That, that's true. And that's why he couldn't stand other types of writing. He didn't like allegory. He wanted, he wanted the reader to be free. He didn't want the author to domineer the reader. 
But having said that, it's very obvious to me that his life and his World War I experience and his views of good and evil and power and freedom are immensely important to him and work his way into his books, and they work well. I mean, in a sense, he's, 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 he's got a gentle touch. So he's, he's loved by Christians and non-Christians alike because he is giving them freedom. But at the same time, he obviously has got a message, and it comes out. His writings are shaped by his own context. Yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me close by tying two questions. Um, the first question is uh, people speak quite a bit about uh, Tolkien's relationship with C.S. Lewis. And uh, in a recent article I've read, I think that you posted in your website, uh, there was an article about 10 things people did not know about Tolkien. And one mm-hmm. of them was that people have overemphasized Tolkien's relationship with C.S. Lewis. Can you comment a little bit on this possible overemphasis? And is there anything else that uh, the general public should know about Tolkien that oh. they do not well, I will say this. I, I was I was kind of surprised. I had this romantic image of the Inklings, and I that that doesn't stand up. Now, I'm not sure. I mean, the book I've got a limited number of space to go into this, um, so I'm not sure I said everything. And I, I, well, I know I didn't say everything. I'm not sure I'm going to cover it all to, today, or I'll cover something different than what I mentioned in the book. But he, it seems that one of the ways that um, Tolkien and Lewis helped one another was. Somewhat of a mutual competition, at least on Tolkien's side. He was a little, he, he was seeing Lewis just pump out these books, and he could not operate that way. And th- there was tension. Um, Lewis, you know, he helped Lewis become a Christian, and then Lewis started writing about Christianity for everyone else, and just, you know, basically becoming this public Christian author. And I think Tolkien thought that was kind of hasty, and I actually sympathize with Tolkien's point there. It does seem amazing that. Lewis was, you know, giving us all guidance about spiritual things when he had just become a Christian. Um, you know, they were they they had issues. I, I will say this: we would not have seen the Lord of the Rings though without Lewis, and for good and bad reasons. Lewis both an encouragement and a help, and also a maybe an incentive to try to make you know. Tolkien wanted to get his own book out. Um, at the same time. I guess the lesson I pull away from this is that God uses friendships even when there's obvious problems, you know, when there's obvious tensions. Um, you know, another thing that happened was, um, you know, um, I shouldn't say, uh, Tolkien's wife, um, Edith, Edith Tolkien did not like Lewis. And the, you understand why. I mean, one of the things, it was another thing that was in that article was they said Lewis was a clubber. Well, yeah, he went out all night with his, he, he never, he, he went out all night. I mean, he, he was, you know, out all night drinking and discussing intellectual things while someone else was stuck home with the children. And, um, and, and it really felt somewhat exiled in, in Oxford culture because she wasn't, you know, she was out of her depth as, uh, as a person who was relatively, I mean, she was not that well educated. I mean, she wasn't badly educated, but she was, she was not an academic by any stretch of the imagination. So she just kind of felt very out of place in Oxford. And then her husband's out with students and then at night with Lewis and, you know, Lewis is a bachelor. The ironic thing is, you know, when Lewis finally got married, one of the reasons Tolkien didn't like that was because now all of a sudden his bachelor friend was tied down and didn't have this freedom. And, and, I, and, and of course, Edith liked her. So um, there are other things going on. It, it was an interesting thing. I, I think Lewis's relationship to his wife, not Lewis, excuse me, um, Tolkien's relationship to his wife is another thing that people should probably know about. Um, Tolkien loved his wife, and she loved him, and they did work out a Christian marriage. Um, at the same time, it's probable that she really regretted becoming Roman Catholic just to make him happy. 
Um, she said she was open to it, but I think later she became rather upset with herself and with him. And also, um, in general, because he had these kind of, um, he was romantic, you know, he read romantic literature. He, he never really got her woven into the rest of his life. And I know different people settle on different, different couples settle on different ways of, of, uh, working that territory. But he, um, you know, again, this is why she felt so cut off in Oxford. She really had nothing to do with 90% of his personality, 90% of his life. Uh, he was very endearing to her. He loved her. He took care of her. But they had these issues. They were not on the same page. And again, I actually see the grace of God in that because marriage is about two different people um, coming together. And I think, you know, it worked out for them. They both they both helped each other. But it was a rough go, and I, don't, I think people would be kind of shocked to learn about how hard it was. You've heard snippets from the Lord of the Rings soundtrack by Howard Shore in today's podcast episode. We do hope you've enjoyed this little dialogue on Tolkien. Thanks again for subscribing. And as always, for Yuri Brito, I'm Jared Ritchie saying we'll see you next time.